my dad worked at um, General Motors for 46 years. Uh, all of his vacations, he uh, invested in a place like Gull Lake. And uh, I grew up working in uh, the laundry because camps back then used to launder the sheets and everything for the, um, the campers. And uh, it was youth camp, and so they were always wetting the bed. So we were constantly doing the laundry. I tell you what, I can fold sheets faster than you can talk because every summer from when I was old enough to stand, my parents said, we're going to invest our vacation for the Lord. And so I folded sheets, and I'm thankful. Bonnie's thankful too. I love to fold sheets. There we go. Two questions. Number one, someone asked in the back, what version of the Bible do you use? If you want to understand um, transmission of the text and all of the different talks about inspiration and versions, that's, there's, I talk for hours on YouTube about it. I use the New King James for the reason this, that when I was little and had to write those verses for my mother, it was old authorized King James. And so almost every verse I've ever memorized in my life, which are a lot, are all from there. So I use the new King James just to keep me close to that. But when I study, I, of course, the New American Standard is the most precise Greek translation of the New Testament. The New International is the most precise Hebrew poetic translation. A lot of people don't realize that. I'm talking about the old NIV, not the gender neutral blah, blah, blah stuff today. I'm talking about the real original NIV translation had the greatest group of Old Testament scholars that rendered the Old Testament through the poetry that it, most of it was written. Uh, the ESV is remarkable. In fact, uh, both Piper and I think MacArthur said if they could start their ministries over, they would teach from the ESV. And those are two men quite concerned about the text. I use the New King James only for this. When I'm teaching from New American NIV or whatever, or ESV, I always have to say, oh, look down in your footnotes, you'll find that verse. Yet those verses are in the post-apostolic father's sermons. They preached on Jesus saying to the woman taken in adultery, neither do I condemn thee, go and leave thy life of sin. You can't find that in your NIV, it's in the footnote. So I'd rather have it up where it reminds me in the text. All Bibles have the whole Bible. It's just some put it in the footnotes or the center column and the rest uh, put it like the old-fashioned ones put it there. So that was the first question. The second question, Kurt, where are you? Where did you? There. Stand up and say it real loud. So it gives me the opportunity to ask one question. He's the only one that said he wanted so. Does that sound like two questions to you? <laughs> well, the first one, Zipporah, don't you remember when, when Moses, I mean, you can look this up in Exodus, when Moses said, my boys have to be uh, circumcised, he circumcised those little babies, and Zipporah took the surgical remains and touched Moses, it says, his feet and said, you are a man of blood. And that whole process, Moses was resistant 
to circumcising his kids because he hadn't been home for years. Do you remember? He left her back in Midian and he came and did his thing and he hadn't seen her and they had these kids and he required this and she was not tracking. And I see a real parallel with a lot of men that start really following the Lord and their wife is miles behind them and they're forcing all this to happen. It causes real tension. And the Lord was saying, Moses, I don't care if you're having little family troubles or whatever, you've got to obey me. So that's what's going on. You can read a good study Bible and explain it. As far as the sacrifices, now again, you're going to alienate half the people here, but if you take the Bible for what it says, Jesus said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Jesus Christ if you believe uh, the dispensational view of scriptures, is coming for his church, and after that, he reverts to his chosen people of promise, the Jews. And the Jews are the ones through whom which this entire book came. And they are the ones with whom which he made his covenants, including the new covenant that we are a part of, and he offered to us at communion. But what's going on in, in the Old Testament is, Ezekiel, eight chapters from 40 to 48, is talking about this huge temple that is 25,000 cubits by 25,000 cubits. And if you know a cubit is a foot and a half, it's 37,000 by 37,000 feet, which is seven miles by seven miles. Temple in the middle, this giant visitor center put on the earth for 1,000 years while Jesus rules. Everyone has to come to that place three times a year. If they don't, Ezekiel, Isaiah says, it won't rain on your property. So God has forced tours. It's like going to the ark or creation museum. You know, you got to go every year. And so, and if you don't, your lawn will die and so will your grapes. And so you say, that's ridiculous. What's going on? Well, God invented the sacrificial system. It's the most beautiful picture of Christ. If you've ever studied Leviticus, I mean, I could go for an hour on all the pictures of Christ in the book of Leviticus, like the leper cleansing. What did you do with the leper when you cleansed him? You put a bird inside of a clay pot and you dumped uh, actually two birds inside and you dumped blood on them and you shook them up and then you reached in and you killed one of them and you let the other one fly away. What is that? That's gross. It's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And that bird that flew off with blood all over it shows Jesus Christ rising from the dead in his blood. I mean, every part of the Old Testament sacrificial system was pointing at Christ. So God reinstitutes the sacrifices. No sacrifice saved anyone anytime, ever. Ever. An animal can't get me to heaven. Neither can water, or baptism, or con you know, confirmation. Only Christ. It's faith in Christ. So here's the cross. In the Old Testament, every sacrifice was pointing. And people would say, this sacrifice is a substitute for me because the perfect sacrifice is coming. In the New Testament, here's the cross, we eat the Lord's Supper and remember the one that died in our place. So we're all either looking back at the cross or looking forward to the cross. So in the millennial times, that temple has all of these sacrifices that point that Jesus Christ was and is the only perfect sacrifice. Now, why does God do that? I don't know. Why doesn't he do a lot of things? I don't know. But he wrote that, and it's eight chapters long, and Jesus and Paul and Daniel and John, that's pretty pretty big bunch of witnesses. Jesus talks about that temple. Daniel sees the temple.
Paul sees the temple and says the Antichrist is standing in it, and John writes about it. And so the reason the, the, the sacrifices are instituted, again, is not because anybody's saved by any sacrifice ever, but because God invented it in such a great picture of Christ, he uses it again. Have you ever used anything again that was really good? God does. And then at the end of those sacrifices, by the way, it doesn't work. Revelation 20 says almost the entire earth rejects God and that little 37 by 37,000 foot little square, Revelation 20 says that the saints camp on the perimeter. And it says the whole world rises up like the sand of the sea, marching, and they say, we're going to get rid of God and those horrible saints in that temple that we have to go to every year. And that's the end. And you can read the end in Revelation 20. How'd I do, Kurt? Okay. That was two questions, not one. Um, <laughs> are you getting ready for the greatest day of your life? Uh, and, and I love this because this is where young people are. Young people are, are conscious of the environment. And by the way, there is environmental change, no matter what you want to call it. It is changing. And I'll show you. Now, it doesn't mean that, that if we stop spraying something or plant more trees, it will change. Because there is an overarching something going on. And you have to decide what that is. But uh, young people are so into this that you can hold them in rapt attention for a long time if you show them what the Bible says. Okay, so God gives specific details on the end of the world. If you open your Bible, look at Matthew 24. I just want to show you three verses. And this is the flashpoint. And there are actually two groups in Christendom. And I'm sure in this room too. Those that say everything in Matthew 24, almost all of it, has already happened around AD 70 or somewhere. And some of it's still trickling. And that's one whole view. And and. Uh, that's the view of Martin Luther and Jonathan Edwards and John Calvin and, you know, uh, 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 R.C. Sproul and about every other reformed pastor in the world. And then you have the other side, uh, you know, like Swindoll and MacArthur and, and uh, you know, Charles Stanley and those kind of people that would hold more what I'm going to show you. Matthew 24, 8 says this, all these things are the beginning of sorrows. So that's how Jesus introduces this description of the future. Now look at verse 33. So you also, when you see these things, know that it is near at the doors. Verse 34. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. I believe that. The generation that sees all these things are going to see what Revelation says takes place, take, Greek word, tachometer, fast. This stuff is not age long. The world can't endure it lasting that long. It's a very rapid. Now, even within Christendom, uh, the, uh, what's his name? The guy, that, the mid-trib guy, uh, Marv Rosenthal, who actually republished um, the guy that owned Xerox. What was his name? Van Campen. Bob Van Campen wrote a book, a mid-trib view uh, book, in about 20 years ago that now has become the premier mid-tribulation view. There are those that think that the first half of the tribulation is real light and it's not getting heavy till the midpoint. And, you know, it's not worth arguing about. God didn't give a chart. But uh, I say to you, this generation 
will not pass away till all these things. All what things? Well, let's just go through what the Bible says. In Daniel 12, 4, it says there will be global travel. And what, what Daniel says is, uh, the angel says, you, Daniel, shut up the word, seal the book till the time of the end. How do you know it's the time of the end? Many shall run to and fro. Just think for just a minute, what does run to and fro mean? Let me give you a short summary of what's happened. 3,000 years ago, David hired wooden boats powered by wind to help bring wood to the temple, uh, float it from, you know, Hiram down to Jerusalem. His son Solomon actually built and operated a fleet of wooden ships that sailed by wind power and carried on extensive trade with Africa, Europe, and parts of Asia. Jonah walked by foot to a port in Israel, you know, down there at Joppa, and tried to sail to Spain. That was 3,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul traveled around the Roman world Basically, aboard wooden ships moved along by wind power, and if he wasn't there, he was traveling at the speed of horse, chariot, or foot, walking. So 3,000 years ago, travel was at the speed of air, you know, blowing wind in a sail, horse, riding a horse or being pulled by one, or walking. That was the speed of life. 500 years ago, Christopher Columbus embarked on a journey across the Atlantic in search of a sea route to China. He also probably went to the dock on foot, boarded a wooden ship, not very much unlike David and Solomon and Jonah and Paul's. Just over 200 years ago, Benjamin Franklin walked to a dock in America and boarded a wooden sailing vessel for his trip to France. But just over 100 years ago, everything started changing, right? Do you think about how fast it's changed? Abruptly. With the advent of steam, man was no longer tied to manpower and wind power. With the steamship, then the locomotive, then the automobile, then the airplane, and then the rocket with Goddard and all of his studies, in one generation, the whole world changed until in 2019, 4.590 billion people will fly. And a lot of them are there all the time. Bonnie and I fly over 100,000 miles a year, and every airport we've been to on every continent is jammed with people. Now, some of them, we fly in some of these rural airlines, they have refrigerators strapped into seats. I was in one Russian airline, and it said emergency exit, and I opened, you know, it was right over my seat. I opened it, and it was a coiled nylon rope. And I thought, what? What does that do? Do you hang yourself, you know, if you know you're going to crash? I mean, is that how you get out of the plane when it's burning? But, uh, you know, it's just amazing. A lot of people are flying. I mean, that's the, all of the uh, Airbus um, fleet. That's a lot of people going to and fro. You can get anywhere on the planet on a scheduled flight very rapidly. By the way, I would take advantage of your time on the planes. I sat on a plane once because I fly so much, and I was on one of those empty ones. You ever hear about those where no one's on it but you? And I was studying the Bible, and I was all set up, and all of a sudden, just before they took off, another guy came and sat right across. I was on the emergency row, so I could spread out. He sat over there, and I thought, ugh. And so I turned a little bit, and we took off, and I was studying and set up, and he kept ringing the buzzer, asking for, you know those little $3 alcohol bottles? And and they'd bring him one, he'd drink it, and he got a little happy, and he says, hey, what are you doing over there? He was on that side of the aisle, and I was over here reading the Bible, preparing to speak at a conference like this, and I didn't even look up. I said, I'm studying the Bible. I thought that would shut him up. Got another bottle. A little more, you know, uninhibited. He said, hey, I have a question for you over there. I said, and I put my finger down where I was studying, and I was working on a message, and I was very much 
frustrated that he was interrupting my study. And I put my finger where I was and I looked at him and I said, what is your question? You know, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to answer it. You're asking probably two instead of one. <laughs> uh, you know, and, um, and so I put my finger down and I looked up at this young professional and he said, my Spanish housekeeper, he was wealthy, he was the head of the largest anesthesiological group in his game hunting, you know, I mean the whole nine yards. My Hispanic housekeeper. And I went, rich guy, I don't have time for this. I said, mm-hmm. He said, why is it? She doesn't speak any English, except for one thing. He said, every time I see her in the house, she goes, you go hell. He said, literally, every time, you go hell. I'm holding my verse. I listened to that. I thought, and I answered him. I said, because you probably are. And I went right back to studying the Bible. And I had turned in my seat. I had my back to him. And all of a sudden, I don't know how long it took, but it was like a baseball bat. And the Lord said, have you thought about the fact that you're on a plane, the only one, and I seated the only other passenger across from you, and that other passenger is scared to death to die, and he has to drink alcohol to fly. And this guy has gotten loosened up enough that he's telling his deepest fear that he's afraid to die, and his Hispanic housekeeper is telling him he's going to hell. And you are too busy preparing for a group you don't even know and haven't even met yet, and I gave you a congregation of one and you're not gonna to talk to him? And I felt so bad about it, I turned in my seat and began sharing the gospel with him, but I took too long, it was a short hop. We were only going from this city to Covington and one of those 28 minute flights. And so I was talking as fast as I could and I took the track and I, I underlined and I wrote my name on it, gave it to him and he ran to his big game thing and I ran to my conference. And six months went by and I was back in church walking and I usually walk between the services, you know, trying to correct all the mistakes I made in first service. So I'm looking down, and as I'm walking, someone was here, so I moved over to go forward, and they moved over, so I just moved back. You know how you just can do that. And, and we did this footsie back and forth until I looked up, and that big smile, it was him. He said, boy, you're hard to find. He said, you only wrote your first and last name on that track. But he said, I want to tell you the rest of the story. He said, as soon as you left me, he said, I went to the first bank of seats in that airport. I got on my knees in front of the chair, put your little paper there, read the whole thing, cried out to the Lord, and was gloriously saved. And he said, I just wanted to let you know. See, use your time for divine appointments. Don't always have your own agenda. That was my conviction. I was so smitten by that, that, that I had my plan for the day, even though I'd said, Lord, you know, uh, you know show me your will today and, and lead me, I didn't catch that that person next to me was my divine appointment, which I asked for all the time. So God does great things on airplanes. But here's another one. Look what Daniel 12 says. But you, Daniel, shut up the word, seal the book till the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Did you know that last year we uploaded four zettabytes? What's a zettabyte? It's a, a one with 21 zeros. It's 304 million years of 4K HD 24-7. That's how much information 
we're uploading. That's, there's a council on, on digital storage. They said that was the digital storage of 2018. That's how much stuff between all the universities and all of your Snapchats that's, that's up there. And it says it's going up exponentially. And by the way, every year we introduce new generations of computer chips. Each generation is basically doubled, uh, not always, but often. The newest chip, the AMD Ryzen, uh, a year ago was using 14 nanometer architecture. Do you know what that means? That means if you hold a quarter, that thing uh, can put one million lines this way and one million lines this way. And that is an incredible amount a billion lines of storage from top to bottom. That equals one quadrillion lines of information in one billionth of an inch wide spaces. I mean, they have to make these things with, micros with electron microscopes. And then we have the omnipresent Google. It's in my pocket. Uh, Google is actually misspelling. That's the way you spell it. That's what the scientists called it. And it was a one with 100 zeros, which meant the sum highest number possible. But you know what it really means? It means that if I reach in my pocket here, on my phone, in, ex in very accessible form, is the sum total of all known knowledge of humanity. Remember the Google project? They scanned every book in every library. They paid for that. They did the Library of Congress, and they did the Great Libraries of Europe. They scanned everything, and they're indexing it. Right now, they're working on Michelangelo's drawing pads and translating them and making them available. The sum total of all knowledge. You talk about knowledge increasing, you have lived through it. Do you know how old this thing is? It's just over 10 years old. This is just a little guy. In 10 years, our lives have changed so that people cannot live without this. Amazing. God said this, well, actually Jesus said, and there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity. Why? Because of the weather. The sea and the waves are roaring. And, and, and people are going to be so concerned about the weather that men's hearts, verse 26, fail them. Do you know what the Greek word there is? Apsuko. And suke is spirit and apo is a preposition, means out or uh, from. And it says people are going to be so afraid their spirit's going to leave their body. They're going to die just like heart failure on the spot. Why? From fear for those things coming on the earth. It just seems like the whole place is going to be shaken. The whole earth. By the way, before this, how did you even know the weather of the whole earth unless you sat up at 6 p.m. or 11 p.m. or whatever and watched the news? Or maybe there'd be a few things in the newspaper. We've gotten to a place where everybody's watching everything all the time. It's like a global event. Weather is. I mean, this is 2017's weather. I mean, look, Hurricane Harvey, 198 billion. Hurricane Irma, 65 billion. Hurricane Maria, 102 billion. Those were just some of the weather events. And then we get to 2018. I mean, it was just like, wow, all those are billion-dollar disasters we lived through, whether there were huge winter storms or hailstorms or California fires. We all watched those. And look what the newspaper said. They said the world's never been this hot before. This is last year. Look at the recorded temperatures. 51 degrees centigrade in Algeria. I mean, that was cooking eggs. I mean, it was amazing. You didn't have to boil them. They just, Sweden had forest fires. I mean, Sweden, it's like in the North Pole. Japan, people were dying in their apartments because air conditioners could not cool those high rises at the, the rate that the heat was rising. All told, they say that, that between 20 and 40,000 people died globally in that heat wave. 
Here's what the paper said. Fire, fire everywhere. 2018 global wildfire is already disastrous. And, and it says, the underline subheading is, a warming planet has exacerbated our dire global threat grown, grown by growing cities and poor urban planning. But look at last week. I thought that I had to clip that. Manure explodes in Spain. Uh, what it's saying is it got so hot that the methane grew faster and faster in those big manure piles and they were blowing up. I mean, I wanted to see that. No one posted it. It would have been fun to see. <laughs> France had the hottest day ever recorded in history. Look at the people swimming at the Eiffel Tower. They let them go in those horribly cicrosporidium-laced pools. Uh, you know, amazing. Um, 2018, wildfire season was dramatic, prompting headlines around the world being on fire. It's only unusual in that so many places were experiencing major fires at the same time. But look at the quotes. Fire used to be seen as local, but we should see them as global. God said weather would become a global event. Tell me in history when that's ever happened. Did you know how unglobal events used to be? Did you know the Roman emperor died in battle and the empire didn't know it for six months? I mean, if Trump has a threat, it's tweeted out to everybody instantaneously. The emperor died. The soldiers didn't know. The legionnaires for months. Amazing. What's happened? We have global telecommunications. Bible talks about it. Revelation 11 says, those from the people's tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies, three and a half days, and not allow their dead bodies to be put in the graves. And those who dwell on the earth. Now see, there are two ways of looking at the Bible. There's the minimalists and the maximalists. The minimalists say, I don't want to say anything I don't want to say, and so it doesn't say anything more than, you know, just the facts, Sergeant Friday. Then there are those that say, Wait a minute, God doesn't exaggerate. If God says the whole world, if God says every kingdom and tongue and tribe and nation, why would he use such maximum words if he didn't mean it? But something's going on here, and those who dwell on the earth rejoice, and they send gifts to one another. Now, the Bible says there's going to be global events, not just weather but global events. Now, look at this. I just went at 4.30 yesterday. This is everybody using Facebook Live. Facebook Live is where you can just become a broadcaster. You just turn on your Facebook and talk and become famous, you know, and people tune in and give you kisses and hearts and little emoticons and everything else, you know. Look at the people doing it. Now, that's from your end. This is what Facebook sees. The green, it's not real high resolution, but the green are the broadcasters, and they're on every continent, and all the purple or dark are the people watching these videos. This is just Facebook. That's, that's I mean, an event can now be seen everywhere you see dark spots. Live. Live. Wow. Bible said that. Every eye would see him. The whole world would mourn, this and that. Very interesting. How about global evangelism? What did Jesus say in Matthew 24? This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world. Does God exaggerate, yes or no? No, God does not. I do. You ought to hear my fishing stories. We have a cabin in Canada. That fish gets bigger every time I tell the story. That's just our human nature, you know? We don't mean to, but it just gets more exciting. Does God exaggerate? No. 
He said, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, then the end will come. And then he said, again, Matthew 13, 10, the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. By the way, did they know all the nations in the world in the first century? Did they? Did people get to every nation in the first century? Well, they got on the trade routes and they got all across Asia and they got a lot of places, but every nation? Jesus said, I won't come back till it goes to every nation. We didn't even know what all the nations were basically until we had mapping technology, which didn't really start until early 60s where, I mean, there are whole parts of the world that were not even discovered. They didn't even know islands and I mean, they're finding stuff all the time now. They just found a lava pool off of the Antarctic that's glowing and bubbling lava out there in an island no one even knew was there. They found that last week, by the way. I mean, we're still looking. This is the Southern Baptist, the IMB. Uh, that's one of the missions Bonnie and I work with and work for and help. But those red dots are the unreached people groups that there's no one in that people group and that language group that speak uh, a language to hear the gospel in. There is no scripture in their language and there's no known believer in their language, okay? Now, the Southern Baptists have spent a lot of money working with all the agencies and they've identified every one of the unreached people groups. And by the way, the groups we work with when we're overseas, the, the missionaries, they are setting up medical ministries near every red dot. Their goal is to reach every kingdom, tongue, and tribe, and nation with the gospel. The Lord said that would happen before he returns. By the way, if you want to know how it finally happens, in chapter 14 of Revelation, when those hailstones are squashing people that weigh 60 pounds, you get hit by a 60-pounder, you're probably done in, you know, uh, splat. But while that's happening and, and while the sun is flaring and while all the water is polluted and while the air is filled with smoke, do you know what God does? God is a savior. Titus says, God our savior. God is a savior. Don't just think of Jesus as a savior. He's reflective that God is a savior. At the worst moment in earth's history, the darkest moment, the pits open, the demons are out, uh, all that stuff that you read about, those horsemen of the apocalypse, what does God do? In Revelation 14, verse six, he sends an angel to fly just above the earth and the angel preaches the everlasting gospel to every creature. He flies over, kind of like a drone, and flies over every inch of the earth and verbally gives the gospel. And you know what it says? That there are more people than can be counted that respond when the whole place has fallen apart and all that stuff. God is into it. Well, uh, how about the sign of global pestilences? Notice what it says in Matthew 24, and if you're, this is one of those where it's in the footnotes, it's also, that word is in Luke 21, if you wanna find it, the word pestilence. This is just Ebola. I mean, we work with doctors who work with the Ebola people, and they say this disease is so amazing how rapidly it spreads and how lethal it is and how hard it is to contain it. Can you imagine if someone, well, someone did. Someone came with Ebola to Dallas a couple years ago. Do you remember the furor that caused? I mean, we cordoned off the whole apartment complex and they didn't know what to do. And that was just one person. I mean, the last outbreak hit 28,000 people. And now there's a new outbreak, that kind of blue circle, 
that's right now that's at 20, 25 confirmed cases and there's no cure. All you do is keep them occupied and behind fences and, and then we've got all these antibiotic resistant uh, drugs that, that are resistant enterobacteriae or CREs and, and just a few decades scientists were forecasting all diseases were kind of cornered and now we we have, I mean, even cockroaches are becoming toxin resistant. Uh, that no bug spray, the, the, it's amazing how relentless what the Bible says is gonna happen is happening. And then we have the anniversary of Spanish flu. Most people don't even know about that. In 1918, I mean, 50 million people died of the flu. And you know what they found out? An outpost up in Alaska of, of uh, soldiers got it, some of them died, they buried them in the tundra, their bodies were still there. The scientists wanted to go and get a DNA specimen of the Spanish flu from the permafrost where the body was still very well preserved and they went to that graveyard and they found that someone had already dug some of them up. And see, what we see going on behind the, kind of the news lines is that there are actually entities that are into spreading diseases I mean, it's not just Tom Cruise and MI5, you know, and all the horror movies. It's actually, there are terrorists that want to do that. Now, here's another thing the Bible says in Revelation 13, 16 and 17. Everybody knows this, the 666 thing. He causes everyone, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on the right hand or their forehead, and no one may buy or sell except the one who has the number of his name. And so there's endless speculation, and people are... I mean, all the movies of barcodes on the foreheads and 666 and, I mean, and then there's the microchip and people are fascinated with all this and, and people say it's dumb and other people are... When I pastored in Oklahoma, there was a lawyer, a very successful one, whose only practice was to remove people's social security numbers. He would un-social security you because there was a whole branch of Christendom that said, I'm not going to have a social security number, it's the mark of the beast. And they haven't read the Bible enough to know that, that they could, that couldn't be the mark of the beast because they can't get one because Christians can't get it. And so they already had the social security number. So you know what I mean? It was just, it wasn't logical, but they employed him. What, what, what is it? Well, you can't buy or sell without a number. Hey, we're already there. Have you tried to rent a car without one of these? They won't take debit cards. You have to have a credit card. Why? Because there's so much cash in the world, but it doesn't match the total amount of, of currency. Uh, I mean, it doesn't match the total amount of, of money. See, there's only a little bit of cash proportionate to the amount of money there is. It's all become digital zeros. A long time ago, we started buying or selling with a number. So if you're trying to get away from the Antichrist, it's too late. You're already digitally. I mean, Bonnie and I got out of the airplane, rented our car in Chiang Mai, I went to the gas station, I poked in my, you know, did that with my credit card. My phone, as I was putting gas in the car, Chase Bank said, are you in Chiang Mai? Yes or no, fraud alert. They knew where I was. It's a wonder they didn't say, are you standing next to the gas tank? You know, <laughs> I mean, then I would have looked up, you know, do they have drones added to this? We're already there. I mean, look where we are. We, Facebook is launching next year the global coin. Can you imagine your Facebook account? You can trade money with people without all those horrible fees, the three point whatever, you know, percent that, that Visa and MasterCard charge. You're going to be able to 
do international commerce over your crypto coin account. Wow, it's called Libra, to liberate people. We are going so fast into digitalized money. That's amazing. Uh, combine that with uh, artificial intelligence facial recognition. I mean, right now, all the airports, uh, if we go to China, they know where we are all the time. Did you know in China what they have is if you jaywalk across the street when it's not the green light, the camera catches you, it does the quick facial recognition, and in your home neighborhood, not where you jaywalked, where you live, your face will be on a board saying, jaywalker. It's called social shaming. China, right now, has 50 million people that cannot ride the train. They walk up, the little gate shuts, says you can't get on because you were bad. They have two and a half million that can never fly an airplane. Facial recognition, come to the airport, your face comes up, they may not fly, no fly list. They're using readily bought on Amazon facial recognition equipment. This is global. And it's gonna come to the point where if you don't match the database, you can't buy or sell. And that's what's going on. Then, what else did Jesus say? Verse 22, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, really. Has that been fulfilled? When those words were written, how could you kill people? They had to be close enough to either be hit by your spear, shot by your arrow, and I've done enough deer hunting with crossbows it is hard to hit a moving target, I'll tell you that, uh, even with a shotgun slug. You know the laws of physics. You could only kill someone that was close enough to get by your sword, by your catapult, by your whatever, the whole world. Unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. Does God exaggerate? No. God said there was coming a time when you would have destructive power so lethal that it could destroy every human. When did that happen? Think about that. Weapons of global destruction, well, we all know, you see this picture all the time. That's from the doomsday clock. I just clipped it out of the British paper. You know, that's not even bad anymore. The Israelis, because they're so compact over there, they invented something different. It's called the neutron bomb. The neutron bomb's really neat. If one hit here, every uh, carbon-based, you know, uh, flesh, uh, human, animal, and plants would die, but the buildings would be perfect. <laughs> Wouldn't harm them at all. See, that's what neutron bomb does. It just, it just does this burst of energy that kills life forms and leaves the buildings fine. We are at a time that's amazing. And then, First Thessalonians, we get Paul to weigh in. He says, for when they say peace and safety, sudden destruction will come like labor pains, there's a global desire for peace and prosperity and materialism, and it's global. Uh, right now, the debt of the world is $247 trillion. That's Shanghai Port. Look at those containers of stuff coming over here to America, you know? And uh, it, it's just amazing, um, this desire for everything to get calm, and we don't want any more wars, and we want to shut down those that have wars. But the ultimate sign is the one that I mean, on my way over this morning, I just wrote Iran, Israel into Google, and look at the headlines that came up. Top Iranian general forces in Syria waiting order to destroy Israel. Uh, 
they threatened, they just said yesterday, they'll destroy all of Israel in 30 minutes. Iran said that. Senior Iranian, these are today. You'll see that if you put in Google, Israel, Iran, that's all you have to put. Senior Iranian lawmaker threatens Israel with annihilation. Now that's curious, why? Because the Bible says in Ezekiel 38 and 39 that Iran will lead the charge seeking to annihilate Israel. Let me ask you, uh, has that ever happened? I mean, really? And did the whole world participate? See, the problem we have to come down to is either God said it and we don't know quite how it's going to happen or we say he doesn't mean what he says. And as soon as you start doing that, he also doesn't mean what he said about homosexuality. And he also doesn't say, mean what he said about when life begins at conception. He also doesn't mean what he said about creation. See, where do you stop making the Bible comfortable? It's not comfortable. Now, I don't understand it all, but it's very uncomfortable. So what is the purpose of prophecy? The only reason it was written was to get us ready. Martin Luther got that. You know what he said? I only have two days on my calendar. Today and the day I stand in front of Christ's judgment seat. Do you have those on your calendar? We're going to stand in front of the throne of God. Daniel tells us what it's like. There are countless angels, billions of them, standing around, constantly falling before the Lord and all the cherubim saying, holy, holy, holy. And while that's happening, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, we're going to get to come up, and the Greek word is heskaton. You know what that means? One by one. You know, through life, we're comfortably able to get behind in the pictures. We, you know, we don't like what we look like, so we stand behind people. And for the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to stand in front of his bema, his raised seat. And it says, 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear, phanerothenai, be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ, the bema, that we may each receive for the things done in our body according to what we've done, whether it be good or bad. Now, bad doesn't mean sin, because justification took the record of my sin away. Bad means doing things that only last for here and now and have no part for eternity. That's what's going to be burned up from our lives. Do you know what's going to happen? I tell people that life is like shopping at Walmart. You get to push your cart through. You can put anything in your cart you want. Jesus takes all the sins out. Whatever's left, you get to come and stand in front of him and dump your cart kind of on that Burger King conveyor belt. It's going to go through the fire and burn up everything that wasn't done for his glory. And Jesus is going to reach out and receive what we did with our precious one and only life. How much of it was lived for him? He's going to look down at that and say, thank you for living that part of your life for me. And there are going to be people that suffer loss because they live their whole life for their collections and their cars and their boat and their house and their sports and their games. Gaming? Kids spend 70 hours a month gaming, but they have no time to hear God's voice. Are you getting ready for the greatest day of your life? Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, I pray that your spirit would um, remind each one of us what we need to change so that we can hear your voice more often, more clearly, more deeply. What we can do to less grieve your spirit, less quench his presence in our lives. What we can do to feed our souls so that 
We can be like Jeremiah and say, your word was found and I ate it and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing in my heart. I'm called by your name. We're supposed to be the most joy-filled, overflowing, rejoicing people in the world while the whole world's falling apart. And that only comes from finding your word and eating it. So I pray that we would make sacred vows to you to maybe lessen our, our screen time and get more of time with you because you're knocking on the door every day like Revelation 3.20 says and you want to you eat with us, you want to feed us, you want to fill our hearts with your joy. I pray that we would let you and that you would use this week at Gull Lake to stir our hearts in that direction. Show us where we need to repent. Show us how we can follow you more fully. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen.